Last week, uh, I mentioned the tapestry illustration. You guys remember the tapestry illustration, right? You guys have heard it before? You remember it? Um, it's a great visual of how we sometimes perceive, the key word being perceive, sometimes how we perceive God's providences, because all we see is the underside of God's tapestry. And what does it look like under the tapestry? We've all seen the backside of a tapestry, right? It looks, well, it looks like a disaster. It looks, it looks awful. It, it looks like mass confusion. It looks like chaos. There is no design to it. It looks like a huge mistake, in fact. That's sometimes how we perceive, again, the key word being perceive God's providence in this life. But that's because all we're seeing, again, is the underside of the tapestry. The top side of the tapestry is what? Someone tell me. It's beautiful. It's, it's beautiful. Um, God's tapestry is pristine beauty, it's perfect symmetry, and it's flawless design. He is the master artisan. I use that word a lot for him. Um, he's always creating a masterpiece. He's faultlessly working His purposes for His glory and for His people's joy. So while all we can see in this life is the backside of God's tapestry, as His people, we're supposed to believe we are involved in a masterpiece. Do you believe it? You're supposed to believe this. Even when it looks like mass confusion, even when it looks like a disaster, certainly when you can't understand it, you're supposed to believe you're part of God's perfect and beautiful masterpiece. We're supposed to trust Him in the apparent chaos and confusion. Again, I'm going to ask you, do you? When it gets hard, when it gets confusing, is your first thought, I trust God. We're supposed to believe we're part of his beautiful tapestry. I want to share a legend with you tonight. It's, it's, a, it's not a biblical account. It's a legend uh, about Moses. As the legend goes, one day Moses was sitting near a well meditating. The first traveler came by, got a drink, and dropped his purse full of gold unknowingly, and he went on. second traveler came, got a drink, Found the purse of gold. Of course, he was very excited. He took the purse of gold and was on his way. The third traveler came, got his drink, and decided to take a nap in the shadow of the well, which he did. In the meantime, the first traveler realized he had dropped his purse somewhere, presumably back at the well. So he goes back to the well. He encounters the third man taking the nap. He demands his money. And the, the third traveler doesn't know anything about the money, right? An argument ensues, and the first traveler kills the third traveler. Moses complains to God. This is all messed up, right? This is all messed up, as Moses complains. Why should the first man lose his purse and become a murderer? Why should the second man have gotten the purse full of gold without ever working for it? Why should the third man, who was completely innocent, be slain? Good questions all. As the legend goes, 
God explained the design in this apparent disorder. He said the first man was a thief's son, and his purse contained money stolen by his father from the father of the second man, who finding the purse only received what was his. The third man was a murderer whose crime had never been revealed and who received from the first man the punishment that he deserved. Then God said this to Moses, In the future, believe that I am at work in what transpires, even when you can't see it, even when you can't understand it. Beloved, it's the tapestry thing. <laughs> you need to always remember this. God is doing a good thing. Even in the sin of man, God can bring beauty. What's the most beautiful thing God did through the sin of men? What? The crucifixion. Evil men of their own free will crucified Christ. God used it to save you and me. God's always doing at least a billion things all at once. We can never even begin to fully parse all that He's doing. It's one of, the, it's one of my FAQs, frequently asked questions as a pastor. Jim, why is this happening in my life? Why did God do this? Why did He not do that? Why has this happened? Why has this come to me? What's going on? What's God doing? Jim, tell me. <laughs> I don't know. Many times I have to say, I, I, I don't know, but here's what I do know, and you've heard me say this before. I know it's good. Even if it hurts, it's good. Even if it's hard, it's good. This is what the Bible teaches us. I remind people, unlike the legend that I shared with you just a moment ago, God does not explain Himself to any man. He doesn't owe an explanation to any man. He doesn't offer an explanation to any man. Even His children. God does not explain Himself. The Bible is not an explanation. What is the Bible? It's a revelation. God's not explaining Himself to His creatures. He's revealing Himself to His creatures. God does not explain Himself to anyone. Anyone. And it's an arrogant thing for a creature to demand an explanation from His Creator. I'm sure you can see. I'm sure you can clearly see that. So God does not give an explanation. He gives a revelation. I love what the old Scottish preacher said. I heard, what, I heard him speaking one time. I don't remember his name, but he says, you always know what God is going to be like, but you don't, you don't ever know what He's going to do. You really don't. You don't really know what He's going to do. He's always going to uh, be like He is. He's always going to be unchangeably perfect in character and in deed. But we don't know, is He going to deliver us or is He going to meet us in the trial? This is what we've been talking about. Will I have supernatural deliverance or supernatural sustenance in the hard place? We don't know what He's going to do. We're going to see it tonight in the text. Shadrach and the boys said, we don't know what He's going to do. We know He can, but even if He doesn't, we'll not compromise the Word will not bow to you. As God's people, we don't... Listen, beloved. We don't need an explanation. Why do we not need an explanation? <laughs> because we've got Him and His promises. 
We don't need God's explanation. We don't demand God to explain Himself to us. We know Him. And we have His promises. The maturing Christian doesn't waste his time seeking explanations. He doesn't call me and ask me to explain it. I, I know very little more than you when it comes to the ways of God. We know what He says. But beloved, <laughs> you don't ever really know what He's going to do in your life. You simply don't know. It will be in keeping with His perfect, righteous, holy character. But you don't know. Is He going to deliver Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Is He going to deliver Stephen? He does the opposite. He delivers Shadrach and the boys, and Stephen is martyred. As I thought about this, I realized, now you think about it, I would rather have God's promise any day than have God's explanation. I think if you think about it more than ah, 10 seconds, you would come to understand, I would rather have God's promise more than I would rather, more, more, than, more than His explanation. I thought I would dissect Romans 8.28 for you. Just, just take a few minutes and just you know, have some fun with this. God says, Romans 8.28, I will cause. What is He saying? He says, I will make happen. I will bring about. I will produce. I will instigate. I will create. I will cause what? I will cause all things. Not a few, not some, not several, not many, not most. All things, each thing, everything, the whole thing, without exception, all things comprehensibly, uh, comprehensibly in eternity in their entirety, and in totality. He says, I will cause all things to work together in concert, jointly, concurrently, and in sync. I will cause all things to work together for good, pleasantly, agreeably, beneficially, advantageously. I will cause all things to work together for good for those who love Me, those called according to My purpose. Beloved, I wouldn't trade that promise for 10,000 explanations. I don't know about you. I wouldn't trade that promise for 10,000 explanations. And just for fun, I'll give you a few more of God's promises from the Word that I love so much. You guys will know this, Second Chronicles 16.9, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the whole earth, that He may strongly support those whose heart is completely His. Psalm 84.11, For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. Jeremiah 32.40, And I will make an everlasting covenant with them, and I will not turn away from them to do them good, and I will rejoice over them to do them good. Isaiah 64.4, I act in behalf of the One who waits for Me. Brings us full circle back to Romans 8.31. If God is for us, who can be against us? I think this is one reason God doesn't give an explanation even to His children. You don't need one. You don't need one because you know Him and because you have His promise. 
That should always be enough, beloved. When all you can see is the underside of the tapestry and it makes no sense, and there's all there is is disorder and confusion and chaos, you have God and His promise. It should be enough. It should be enough. We can walk through any circumstance because He is who He is. We know Him, we love Him, and we trust Him. Not one of His good promises will fall to the ground. Not one of His good promises will fail to come to pass. As it is written in Joshua 21.45 It is always, the promise of God is always a done deal. It is always a done deal with His people. As we've been talking about, He's got enough to live for. He's got enough to die for. As we saw last week, sometimes God delivers His people in the trial. Sometimes God satisfies His people in the trial without delivering them. Sometimes God puts His raw power on display as He supernaturally delivers His people. Sometimes He puts His beauty and sufficiency on display as He supernaturally sustains His people in the midst of great suffering. So tonight, as I said to you earlier, I want to look at two well-known accounts from Scripture. We're going to begin in uh, Daniel. That's eight over from the psalm. So if you have a, a Bible or your little doodad, turn it on. And let's, uh, let's take a look at what God has to say to us first. I want to look at how God dealt with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Next, we'll look at how God dealt with Stephen. As you know, Shadrach and the boys were delivered. Stephen was martyred. So how do we understand this biblically? We laid the groundwork last week. And I just want to, um, I guess, amplify that groundwork by simply working through these two accounts of Scripture. And I want to challenge you as I prayed. I want you to put yourself in the text. I want you to put yourself in the text. You should always put yourself in the text. This is not theoretical. This is real, and you need to put yourself in these guys' sandals. Okay? This is what we need to do as we read the Word of God. Daniel chapter 3, verse 1, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, built a 90-foot golden idol. 90 foot high, 9 feet across. Verse 6, he demanded that all bow down to it under the penalty of death. Verse 12, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not bow down. Verse 13, Nebuchadnezzar was outraged and he had them brought before him. Picking up here, verse 14, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true you won't bow down to my gods? Verse 15, I'll give you another chance. When you hear the music, fall down and worship the image I've set up. But if you will not worship, you will immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of a blazing fire. And what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? Pretty arrogant. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to give you an answer regarding this. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able. Listen, I want you to hear this. We know our God's able to deliver us from this furnace. And He will deliver us out of your hand, either temporally or eternally, right? But even if He does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. They say we may die, but we will never compromise. Is that true of you? 
<laughs> and I know, listen, I know most of you will never encounter the possibility of martyrdom. But how about the possibility of losing your job? By standing on principle. How about the, the, the possibility of being an outcast in your family? By standing with Christ. You know, how about the possibility of being shunned at the university because you're a Christian and you will not compromise? Put yourself in these boys' sandals. Every one of you will live these kinds of experiences. You got, you know, it's what we've been saying. You're supposed to be ready when the persecution comes. You're not supposed to be surprised. You're supposed to be ready. Shadrach and the boys, they entrusted themselves to God. Even as we saw Jesus a couple of weeks ago, He entrusted Himself to God. Deliverance or martyrdom. That's God's business. You heard Him say it. That's God's business. That's not my business. My business is to show up and give testimony. We've been seeing this uh, as we've talked about it several times. Jesus told His disciples, this will be your occasion for your testimony when the persecution comes. This will be the occasion for your testimony. It's not simply sitting in the church where everybody agrees and everybody amends you. That's a great thing to do to give your testimony in the church. But God says when you're out in the world and you give your testimony, when the persecution comes, that's a powerful testimony. That is a powerful testimony. We've been seeing that. I've made much of that the last several weeks. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they showed up. They believed God. They trusted God and they obeyed God. Will you do that next time when the heat's on? Listen, you've got to be ready, beloved. You've got to be prayed up. You've got to have God's Word hidden in your heart. They know, listen, they know God can deliver them, but they do not presume to know if He will. It's not naming and claiming. It's not word of faith. They know He can. They don't presume to know if He will. I love that. That's, that's where you need to be, beloved. Biblically. That's where you need to be. I know He can deliver me. I know He may choose not to. Because He's working some complex good I can't understand. If He leaves me in the suffering, as C.S. Lewis calls it, it's the complex good. No man can parse it. It's the complex good of God. It's the top of the tapestry. We can't see it yet. Oh, we seize the chaos underneath. But because we know Him and we love Him and we trust Him, we know we're part of a beautiful tapestry. We know it by faith. We know it by faith. I love this. Their obedience is it's not preconditioned on what God will do or not do. Their obedience is driven by their unconditional love and absolute trust in the Lord. There. That's the most important thing I'm probably going to say you know, in the sermon. Don't forget it. In effect, they say, we know our God is an awesome God. We know He has infinite power. We know He commands angel armies. He can deliver us. He may not. It doesn't matter to us. We love Him so much, we'll never bow down to you. O king, we'll never bow down to your idol. I'll never compromise at the university. I won't compromise at the office. I won't compromise in my social circle. I won't. I won't. No matter what comes, I won't. Because Jesus says, this is your occasion for testimony. 
When the heat is on, and the heat's about to be on literally for these guys, right? When the heat is on, Jesus says, that's when it matters. <laughs> that's when I convert people through you. When the heat is on, don't you love that? Angel armies. There's a song out. I think it's, have you guys heard this song? I think it's Chris Tomlin. Isn't it Chris Tomlin? Angel armies. I love that. I'm going to steal that and use that a lot. Angel armies. He can, of course, deliver us, but He may not if in His perfect omniscient wisdom He decides not to deliver us. We're good with it. This is biblical Christianity. I'm good with it. To live as Christ, to die as gay. Philippians 1.21. You should know that verse. You should have that verse you know, written in your, behind your eyelid. You know, so... To live is Christ. To die is gain. To die is gain. These guys were ready when the persecution came. They were ready. They weren't surprised. Bam! I'll not bow down. I'll not bow down, they said. They were ready. They were ready in the face of life and death persecution. They were ready. They trusted God and they let the chips fall. Listen, I've never, had, I've never been in a life and death situation, but I did lose my job once because I wouldn't do an illegal thing. I let the chips fall. I just did what I was scared to death. I'll be honest with you. I was afraid. But I asked the Lord to, get, to give me the courage to be a man, to be a godly man, and not a pretender, right? A lot of pretenders in the world. And I was fired. And I'm not going to go into the whole story. God showed up. God showed up. If you want to know the rest of the story, I'll tell you sometime. Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, they did their job. They showed up. They gave their testimony. So let's see what God does. Verses 19 to 25. Nebuchadnezzar's filled with rage. He says, Man, heat up the furnace seven times harder, more than usual. And they tied up the boys and they took them to the furnace. And uh, the guys that threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the furnace were consumed by the flames. And then, Nebuchadnezzar, verse 24, he was astounded. He stood up in haste and he said, was it not three men we cast into the fire? They answered and they said to the king, certainly, O king, verse 25, he answered and he said, look, there's four guys in there. Who's in there? Jesus, the God-man, pre-incarnate Christ. He's in there. He's going to be with Stephen too. We're going to see it. It's going to be vivid. In the trial, God comes. He never doesn't come to His people. He never doesn't come to His people. Jesus is in there. Nebuchadnezzar says, Look, the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. In their obedience and in their trial, in their persecution, when it got hot, God showed up. Listen, this is what God does, beloved. We can really live James 1, 2. You know, the, you know the famous text. Count it all joy when we encounter various trials. Why can we do that? Why can we, why can we count it all joy? Because God's coming to us in the trial. It always, the trial, if you're in the trial, God's coming. God's, God's coming to you. It's a God encounter if you are in a trial. That's why we can count it all joy. Because He shows up. He never doesn't show up. 
I heard Piper preach on this text one time, James 1-2, and he says, if God is good and God is sovereign, then James 1-2 is not stupid. I mean, to an unbeliever, it sounds stupid. Joy in the trial? What? You've got to be kidding me. Joy in the trial? Piper says it's not stupid because God is who God is. It's not stupid to have joy because you know your God's coming to you. He's not coming to explain anything, but He's coming to give Himself to you. This is what God does. It's the story of Job. He explained nothing to Job. He just gave Himself more fully to Job. This is what happens. This is what happens in the believer's life in the midst of a trial. I heard a preacher preach Daniel 3 one time. He had four points. They were really good. He said the boys were different. They were dedicated. They were daring. And they were delivered. Isn't that great? The four D's and that's really cool and stuff. I can never do that. I'm not smart enough to, to do that. But there's one more point they, 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 that, this, that this guy overlooked in my opinion. It's verses 26 to 29. Nebuchadnezzar came to the door of the furnace and he said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come on out of there, you servants of the Most High God. Verse 27. All the officials gathered round, and they saw that there was no effect on their bodies. There was no effect from the fire. Their, hair, uh, their head wasn't singed. Their trousers weren't damaged. There was no, not even the smell of fire upon them. Verse 28. Now this is what unbelievers do. Sometimes. Look what he does, verse 28. Blessed be the God of Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego who has sent His angel and delivered His servants who put their trust in Him. Verse 29. Therefore I make a decree that anyone who speaks anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be torn limb for limb. The end of verse 29. For there is no other God who can deliver like this. Do you see? The unbeliever gives, gives testimony to the true God. Why? Because the boy stood when the heat came. The boy stood. It was their, op it was their occasion for testimony. They stood and they gave testimony to, to the Lord. Beloved, listen, when the heat comes at the university, God's hands are all over it. You're supposed to stand and be a Christian. When it comes at the office, stand and be a Christian. When it comes in the family, which I've personally experienced, stand and be a Christian. Stand and be a Christian. I say it to you almost every week. That's why we're here. Stand and be a Christian. People will be converted. This is what God does. He converts people. When they stand in the hard place, how can you not love the story of Shadrach and the boys? Different, dedicated, daring, and delivered. As we turn over to Acts chapter 6, 7, and 8, we find the story of Stephen. He loved and trusted God too. But we'll have to adopt a different sermon outline for him. It will be different, dedicated, daring, and dead. So how do we talk about this? How do we talk about it? How do we understand it? Was God unfaithful with Stephen? Was He not a promise keeper? Was He not paying attention? Did it slip past Him? Or was God doing one of those 
mysteriously beautiful, complex, good things. We saw, we saw God deliver His people and we saw the unbeliever praise God. And we're going to see we're going to see God's man be martyred in the Stephen account. And we're going to see some of the fruit of it as we go through the text. So let's pick up here with Stephen in Acts chapter 6, verse 8. He was full of grace and power, performing wonders and signs. Verses 12 and 14 through 14. The Jews dragged him before the council and made a false uh, testimony against him. Verse 15, Stephen's face was like that of an angel. As we turn to chapter uh, seven. Chapter 7 is his uh, sermon. It's an abbreviated history of Israel. It's not an I'm okay, you're okay sermon. You get down here to 51, and I read the text. You heard me read it earlier. You know, Stephen, he let them have it, man. He said, you guys are stiff-necked. You're uncircumcised of heart. Your fathers killed the prophets, and you have betrayed and murdered the Messiah is in effect what he says. This is not, a, like I said, it's not a Joel Osteen message. This is a strong, it is a strong message. You are betrayers and murderers of Messiah. Verse 54 of Acts chapter 7. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and they, they began to gnash their teeth and uh, but being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven. He saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and rushed upon him with one impulse. And when they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witness laid aside, the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they went on stoning Stephen as he called upon the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And having said this, he fell asleep. Did you notice who's with him in the martyrdom? Who showed up? Jesus. I have no doubt, I have no doubt that God's grace is sufficient for whatever crisis you walk through, even if it's martyrdom. And, and, and I get it from this text. There are other texts. I don't have time. But, but for, we get it from this text. This man is about to be martyred. And Jesus reveals Himself to him. This is what happens. Beloved, this is what God does. His grace will be sufficient on the day of the crisis. Stand and expect a God encounter. His grace will be sufficient for you. It will be sufficient for you, no matter what it is. Oh, I got fired. God's grace is sufficient. God knows where the next job is. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. It's all His anyway. What are you worried about? Right? Beloved, we just need to actually believe what God says. <laughs> and then go do it. And watch Him do what He does. All we got to do, as I said last week, show up. Just show up. In the hard spot, and God will show up as well. You know, I, I think I've said this to you several times. But Jesus, about ten times you'll see, it talks about Jesus being at the right hand of God. He's never standing. Never standing. Why is He standing now? He's receiving His first martyr. He doesn't have to stand. He's God. 
But doesn't it sound like something Jesus would do? He stands to receive His first martyr. I love it. I think it's beautiful. That's not scriptural. That's just, that's just Jim's opinion. Stephen looks right through death. I don't have any doubt this is what happens <laughs> for the believer. Man, you, you get ready to cross over that, that, uh, that border of death. You get ready to cross over and there he is, man. There he is, just to, to guide you over, to bring you across. I don't have any doubt this is how it is for the Christian in death. Our God is so awesome, He turns death into praise. He turns death into gain. He turns death into glory. Beloved, that's how awesome your God is. And you're going to live it small? <laughs> you're going to be afraid to speak up for Jesus in the world? Come on, beloved. Your God is so awesome, you have nothing to fear from death. It's simply a transition into infinite gain. <laughs> infinite gain, as Paul says. It's the reason I read the 23rd Psalm. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? Someone tell me. Because I'm religious. And I was baptized when I was eight. And I did a bunch of religious stuff. No, God is with me. God is with me. <laughs> God's always with His people, beloved. That's one of the things we've got to learn as we go through 1 Peter. It's full of suffering, but God is with us. Is what Peter keeps Saying God is with us. Whether God delivers or God allows us to stay in the suffering, God is with us. He never doesn't come to His people. He never doesn't come. He always comes. While we can never fully parse all that God is doing, as I said earlier, we can see a few things that uh, God was doing in Stephen's martyrdom. You know the story. Chapter 8, Acts chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul, who's Saul? Soon to be Paul. God's going to invade his life on the road to Damascus. Verse, chapter 8 of Acts, verse 1. And Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. And on that day a great persecution arose against the church in Jerusalem. They were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Verse 3, And Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, and dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. Verse 4, Therefore those who had been scattered went about preaching the Word. Do you see any complex good in the martyrdom of Stephen? You know the church growth strategy of Acts, right? It's not Rick Warren's book. It's a little more serious than that. Church growth strategy in Acts. Preaching, prayer, persecution. That's how God grows the church. That's why the church is more vibrant in many places where it's persecuted in the world today. Something happens when the church is not persecuted. Something happens. Um, we become complacent, I think. We become complacent. But the church is scattered. And the Word is being preached. And oh, 
I have no doubt that Saul never forgot what he saw Stephen do. It was Stephen's occasion to give testimony to the future apostle Paul. <laughs> and he did. I have no doubt God used that. I have no doubt that Paul never forgot what he saw that day. Beloved, we saw it in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. God says, your trials are necessary. That's what He said. He says, it's necessary. You know, the, the Christian suffering, it's never meaningless. It's never non-essential. If you're suffering, there's purpose in it. It's the tapestry thing. You're just supposed to believe that and talk that and walk that and do that. For your family to see, your friends to see, your, your co-students to see, your co-workers to see, the people in the church to see. You know, when Karen walked through cancer, man, she was like, she was a champ. She was a champ. And everybody in church saw it. You couldn't help but love her more, right? And just see how she fell on God and trusted God. That's what I'm supposed to see in your life, beloved. And I'm supposed to, my faith is supposed to be built up as I watch you. Just as your faith is supposed to be built up as you watch me go through a hard thing and fall on Christ. It's important that we get these things. We learn these things and we live these things. As I told you last week, we, we laid this groundwork last week in Hebrews 11. And I'm just going to repeat a couple of key points from, from that sermon because it's so important that we understand these things. We talked about Piper last week. He said you can't be a Christian, really, if you don't understand that God is sovereign in your trials. And you don't understand that it's necessary. And you don't understand that it's good for you in the long run. And you don't understand it's for the glory of Jesus. And you don't understand that it's for your joy. If you don't understand these things, you really can't be a Christian. You'll never be a disciple. Because when it gets hot, you'll run. When it gets hot, you'll deny the Lord. When it gets hot, you'll keep your mouth shut. You've got to know God has brought this into your life. You've got to know it before it happens, or you'll wilt like a two-week-old rose. You'll wilt. You've got to be ready, beloved. That's what this is all about, man. That's what this first Peter book is all about. Be ready. You're chosen. You're peculiar. You're born again. You have an imperishable inheritance waiting for you. I'm sovereign in your trials. Go live it, beloved. That's what we've been, that's what we've been talking about. You've got to believe and understand that God is doing something mysterious and something beautiful and something complex in your life when it gets hard. You've got to believe that. If you don't believe that, you can't be a disciple because you will not go with Jesus when it gets hard. So, God decides when to deliver His people from suffering and He decides when to sustain them in the midst of that suffering. This is God's prerogative. In the faith of His people, sometimes God supernaturally de delivers us from suffering. In the faith of His people, sometimes God supernaturally satisfies in the midst of that suffering. As we saw so vividly last week in Hebrews 11, by faith some escaped the edge of the sword, verse 34, and by faith some were put to death, 
with the sword. Verse 37. As I told you last week, this is basic Christianity. You can't go out there and live Christianity if you don't know this. And you don't know that your God is sovereign. (laughs) And again, the tapestry thing is real. And you're part of it. Isn't that amazing? The tapestry is not about you. (laughs) It's not about you. It's about Jesus. But you're part of it. I love that. I love that imagery, man. It's not about me. But I'm part of it. It's about Him. We're supposed to know this. We're supposed to understand this. It's one of the things we learned last summer and I'm just about done. In John 11. You remember the account? We spent about three or four weeks talking about Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. Martha, Mary sent for Jesus. Lazarus was sick and... Jesus waited two days. Do you remember? Why did He wait two days? Because He was uncallous, uncaring, and indifferent. That's why Jesus waited two days. Oh, what did the Bible say? Anybody remember? Nobody remembers. You've got to know this text, man. He loved them. So He waited. You've got to know that, man. You've got to worship at that. He loved them. So he waited. Lazarus dies. Martha and Mary go through an arduous trial. Why? Because God loved them. The world says, what kind of love is that? It's God's love. You're part of the tapestry, man. You're supposed to get this. You're supposed to know this. You're supposed to be willing to live this. You're part of the tapestry. Yeah, it looks messed up. But he loved them, so he tarried. Remember what he said? This is, this, is, uh, this is for the glory of God. You're supposed to know it's for the glory of God. When the hard place, when the hard spot comes, this is for the glory of God. It's preeminently about Jesus. It's not about my petty concerns, it's about Jesus. When the heat comes, it's about Jesus. It's not about what this may cost me. It may cost you. Praise God if it costs you. Because <laughs> He's going to come, man. He's going to come. And the blessing will infinitely outweigh any temporal cost that we might encounter. Remember some of the things that Jesus did through the trial of Martha and Mary, and I'm finished. You may not remember this, but Jesus said, man, I'm glad I wasn't there. Remember what He told His disciples? He said, I'm glad I wasn't there. Remember what he told him? That you might believe. He's going to solidify the faith of his disciples through this trial of Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. Do you remember? Many Jews were converted. Do you remember? Many Jews were converted. Another thing that God was doing in this trial, in this tapestry. I love this one. He answered Martha and Mary's prayer way better than they asked. <laughs> This is not just going to be a healing. This is going to be what? A resurrection. There's infinitely more joy in what God has in store than what we think we need. I hope you never forget that. There's infinitely more joy in what God has in store. In the know, in the know, there's a, there's a better yes coming. When God says no to you in prayer, there is a better yes coming. This is true. 
He's saving you from the consequences of the yes, which are not good for you. Okay? So he says no, and he brings you a much better yes. <laughs> this is always true in prayer. This is why you can pray with absolute peace and confidence. He's going to do the perfect thing. The answer may be no, but he's saving me from the, he's saving me from the yes. I don't need the yes. The yes is not good for me. I need the no, which leads to a bigger yes. Ultimately, there was glory for Jesus and there was joy for... Can you imagine the joy of Martha and Mary? I guess their joy is probably a lot bigger than if Jesus had just healed Lazarus. Would you not think? Expect the joy, beloved. If not in this life, in the next. So God is always working on His eternal tapestry. All we see right now is the underside of it. We can't even really begin to imagine how beautiful it will be, but we know it will be beautiful because He is beautiful. You're supposed to know this. And you're supposed to live this. Listen, beloved, don't waste your days. Don't waste your days living like the world says you're supposed to live. Don't do it. Don't do it. Your life, all of your life, particularly your trials, we've, as we focused on tonight, but all of your life is an occasion for testimony. To bring glory and honor to our Creator and our Redeemer. And I'm going to close with 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18. Therefore, do not lose heart, but, the, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Beloved, don't be surprised when the heat comes. You be ready. God may deliver you. Or He may simply disclose Himself to you. That's His prerogative. <laughs> I want to challenge you to, to live like Shadrach and the boys. and To live like Stephen. Just trust the Lord. If He supernaturally delivers you, He'll be with you. If He doesn't deliver you, He'll be with you. And His grace will be sufficient. And just like Martha and Mary, your joy will be exponentially increased <laughs> through the trial as you trust Him and love Him and obey Him and worship Him in it. Beloved, it's a promotion. The trial is a promotion. It's a spiritual promotion. We're supposed to know this and understand this. Be ready. Let's pray. Lord, what a great word. <laughs> what a great God. We know, great God, that You can deliver us. But we also know You may not. We're not part of the sham word of faith. Name it and claim it. Gospel. We don't 
We don't participate in fairy tales. We don't participate in lies. We know the living God and He's enough! You're enough! You're enough for us! You're always enough! Lord, help us to be ready. Help us to be mature men and women on the hard day. Which means we have much work to do in our prayer closet and much work to do in the Word. To be ready when the persecution comes. To be ready to stand as a son of the King or a daughter of the King. To stand that it would be our occasion for testimony. Understanding biblically that in that testimony, no doubt you are converting someone. Lord, I pray that we would understand about the tapestry. I pray that it would be who we are. We understand we are part of Your beautiful tapestry. We can't always understand circumstance, but we understand we're part of Your tapestry. And we know it's beautiful because You're beautiful. So Lord, help us. Help us be disciples. Help us to trust in Your sovereignty. Help us to trust in Your complex good when we can make no sense of our circumstance. Help us, Lord, we pray. And may all the glory redound to the name of Jesus. Amen.